church. <laughs> Every now and then I, I thought I'd say hi to him. I usually walk past him and, and not greet him. So I wanted to make sure he knew that I loved him, even though he's always standing behind me. It is great to see you tonight. Let's go to God in prayer. Masterful God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for blessing us to be able to attend tonight. Thank you for giving us the opportunity and the mind to be able to focus on you. But help us to keep our focus. And help us, Lord God, to have read your word and learn something tonight that will give us enough faith and strength to make it until we meet again. We thank you for your love. and We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. If it be that will. Amen. I'm going to 1 Samuel chapter 22. From Saul to Paul, that transformation of a blind man who uh, physically becomes blind, but then wakes up spiritually before he wakes up physically uh, in his sight. And I want to look at another blind man in the Bible, uh, King Saul. His blindness made him pursue David. And that's exactly what was happening to Saul. From Saul to Saul. In 1 Samuel 22, beginning at verse uh, 6, the Bible says this, Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting at Gibeah, under the Tamarath tree, on the height, with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has steered up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. And so he had this idea his, his mind was going crazy in his pursuit and his zeal in the negative against the man of God. And it drove him crazy. And over in verse uh, 17, as he has his, his pity party, listen to how wicked he is. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around and put the priest of the Lord to death. Because their hand also was with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal him to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priest of the Lord. Anyway, later on in this account, uh, Doeg goes on and Doeg kills 80 priests of God for no reason at all. But Saul in his mind uh, thought that he was doing the right thing because he was trying to protect his kingdom. Well, Saul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in his mind, thought in himself that he was protecting their kingdom, the kingdom of God of old, and he was wrong. And behind both blindnesses is Satan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have re-announced, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's 
conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. And so the, the thought that this morning, that uh, this evening rather, um, we're going to Acts 26, that a person can be so blinded in their mind that, 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 one, that one sight vision, if you will, that this is right. And even though it can be 100% wrong, people can be so blinded that they can read it in the Word of God and not even see it. And certainly we know because of our own anger and our own rage and our own zeal, sometimes we can be blind to the truth. In Acts 26 and verse 9, Saul also had a misplaced anger. In verse 9, the Bible says, So then, I thought to myself that I had to put, do many hostile things to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And notice it wasn't just Stephen, right? It wasn't just Stephen. He said, I cast my vote against them, and as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being fiercely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And so his rage and his anger from what he believed to be right and true blinded him. And he was in pursuit against God's people. And the only thing that, in the only way that a blind person can see is if the light of the gospel reaches them. Second Corinthians chapter 4, right back there again, reading the rest of, of that idea, pick it up in verse 5. But we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so only, only the light, Jesus, only the gospel can pull up from blindness. So now I want us to think this, uh, this evening for just a moment as we turn to Acts chapter 9. That Saul be, came to Christ and was converted, but uh, he was a very hated and unwanted man. And I want to take this thought for just a moment and, and allow it to uh, perhaps cause us to think about people who come to Christ. People who come to Christ often walk away from everything they knew. Right? Everything they know, everything they knew, and even some people who maybe have encouraged them not to get baptized. Don't, don't come to the Lord. Don't forsake our religion for this new religion. Don't don't forsake God and as we see Him for, for what you see is new. Don't, uh, don't rock the boat in our family. Don't, don't condemn our family to hell because of this idea of baptism. And I want you to think about that. Now as we look at Saul, he was a very, a very unwanted man who struggled. And a very hated man. It's like, it's like you know, you, you think you're doing right, and you find you're doing wrong. Then you turn your life around, and you do what's right. And then when you do what's right, it seems like you're still struggling. Acts 9, 19. The Jews hated him. 
the Jews hated him. Because in their mind, Saul was forsaking God and turning to Christianity. And so they thought that's wrong. And in Acts 9, in verse 19, the Bible says, And he took food and was strengthened. Now for seven days, several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed. And were saying, Is this not he who was in Jerusalem, destroyed those who were called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And you think Saul is saying, you know, just last week, <laughs> you know, just yesterday, just a month ago, just however long, you know, just, just the other day I was with you. And now I've seen the light and, and, and surely you'd listen to me, right? No. No, you, you turn to the other side. We want nothing to do with you. And now we, we gain a little more light, if you will, Second Corinthians chapter 11, on the idea of what Saul went through becoming a Christian because the Jews and the Gentiles hated him for his conversion. And now he's marked by the Romans. The Romans knew him. And now you go to an illegal religion. And so when Paul writes in verse 24 of Second Corinthians chapter 11, we gain insight of, well, why were they doing these things to him? Well, they didn't like him. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. And I've been in labor and in hardships through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and often without food and cold and exposure. Where do I go? Right? Where do I go? Can't go to the Jews. Because now they're saying, hey, you're one of them. Can't go to the Romans. Well, that's illegal religion. Can't go to the Gentiles. Go to Acts 9, please. Acts chapter 9. Can't go to the Gentiles because the Gentiles, you know, they themselves are against this whole idea of one God versus uh, many gods. And in Acts 9 and, and verse 15, uh, the Bible says, the Lord says to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And he suffered, didn't he? He suffered as a child of God. He suffered as a man of God. He suffered. But now I want us to take a look at Matthew 5 with his suffering. So imagine a man like Saul. He's, he's marked now. He, he has nowhere to go. right? And he decides to come to Christ. 
He comes to Christ. He becomes a child of God. And we understand he's turned from evil to Jesus. He's turned from Judaism to Jesus. A Christian, a man has turned from, from wickedness to Jesus. But he wasn't, that, he wasn't that kind of, you know, he wasn't a great guy, right? He wasn't a great guy out there in the world. And he walks through these doors. How do we treat him? Right? How do we treat him? Do we stand aloof? Do we say, well, let's, let's get to know you a little bit first to make sure you really change? How do we treat that new brother in Christ? Or that brother who has repented and come to the Lord. It, Saul becomes a great test of Matthew chapter 5 to our faith. Verse 38, or 43 rather. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, and there's an S on that, so it's plural, and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you ought to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Sometimes I don't even see us greeting each other. I wonder then how would we treat a man like, like Saul? And what about the early church? And I want you to think about Saul, how easily it could have been for him to just give up. He couldn't go to the Gentiles. He couldn't go to the Jews. He couldn't go to the Romans, part of the Gentile. But could he come to the church? Can he come to God's people? Can he come to the big old hospital, right? The building in which we dwell people of God standing together. How does it look? How does this verse look in the face of Saul? Acts 9. Acts 9 in verse 13, please. Acts 9 in verse 13. They all struggled when you think of Ananias, Ananias says, Lord, I've heard about this man. Right? Acts 9 and verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. You, you know, Lord, I, I want to I be like Jonah right now. <laughs> you know, he doesn't deserve to hear your gospel. He doesn't quite deserve your grace. Turn to 1 Timothy, please. Chapter 1. I mean, this is a man who has a reputation of evil against your people. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Even the Gentiles do that. Can you love your enemies, preacher? 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Even though I was formerly a blasphemy and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm foremost of all. I can admit it. I blew it, church. I'm sorry. Sometimes that that doesn't fix things, does it? And so he stood before Christian families. People that he persecuted. Remember, remember Stephen, I'm going to Acts chapter 9. Remember Stephen when he was stoned and Saul was there of the synagogue of the freedmen and he nodded his head, if you will, carried the cloak, if you will. He was a participant in the stoning of Stephen, the great man of God, full of the Holy Spirit. And they witnessed it. And many others who were persecuted and then executed and saw the, the king, if you will, the chief of the, of the evil ones, if you will, he says, I'll admit, I was the man. I'm the chief of sinners. He's coming through the door, church. How do we treat him? A man of true repentance and godly sorrow. And then in Acts 9, in, in verse 20, the Bible says, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And though he says to us, I believe, church, Jesus is the Son of God. Mm, okay. Does he really? I mean, is he just saying that? We wouldn't trust him, would we? We wouldn't trust Saul. Verse 21. And all those hearing him continue to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? We know he has to have a plan. <laughs> right? He's trying to deceive us. Right? Keep your eye on him. Watch out, church. When do we forgive him and accept him back? Well, now we got another issue. Because sitting in the auditorium is mama. Stephen's mama. How are you going to forgive him? Stephen's daddy's here. And not, not just Stephen's mama, but not just Stephen's daddy. But a man who has a, a closed eye permanently because he was beaten by Saul when he was dragged out of his house. Another brother over there who has a bum leg because he too was beaten by Saul. And, and a sister and a, and a child. And, a, and you go down the list and you look amongst the saints, amongst the brethren, and Saul has to come to them in humility over and over again and say, I'm sorry. But how many times did he have to say, I'm sorry, before the church received him back? How hard was it for the apostle? And I get it. On one hand, where I don't have the kind of faith that God wants me to have, and I'm not as forgiving as God wants me to be. And so, yeah, we watch him for a while. We could find Saul. He could have been a man who, um, who found himself in excessive sorrow. Can't go to the Gentiles, can't go to the Jews, can't go to the Romans. I can't even go to the Lord's church. I, I can't go anywhere. But you have to love his spirit, his mindset, and his attitude. Right? He accepted his wrongs and pressed on toward the goal of the upward call of Christ. And in Acts 9, in verse 26, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples 
and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. I'm not sure. Turn to Philippians chapter chapter 3. I'm not too sure that he really has converted. Does he really have godly soul? You ever heard that in the church? You ever, you ever heard? I know I'm, I'm going to meddle for just a moment. You ever had a brother come forward or a sister and repent of their sins? And then some other folks says, well, I don't think they said it right. <laughs> they didn't really repent because they didn't say the right words. You ever, you ever? I think we've seen that, right? I've seen it. What was he supposed to say? He came forward and, and just, I blew it. And, I, and he started talking about what he did and just and he couldn't get it all out. And yeah, but, yeah, but he should have said this. I don't know if Saul would have survived. In our, would he have survived in our world today? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. He acknowledges, he says, circumcised uh, the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as a zeal, a Pharisee, or as to the law of Pharisee, as a zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. According to the Jews, <laughs> I was blameless. Uh, yeah, but we found lots of faults in you, sir. First Corinthians 15. How long does he have to sit uh, uh, in the auditorium and, and come on a regular basis before we start trusting Jesus and stop looking at that man? First Corinthians 15 and verse 9. For I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. And we might step back for a moment and say, he who deserves God's forgiveness, pretend like Pat and I are sitting down, please stand up. And I would hope all of us would stay seated. He struggled. And there are some saints who are still hurting, right? And still struggling. And, and there's still, you've got to remember from the prodigal son, there's still the older brother living amongst us. I don't want him to come back. He doesn't deserve, she doesn't deserve to come back. How would Paul, turn to Philippians please, chapter 3, how would Paul overcome this, this tragedy in his mind and, and amongst his reputation and amongst the brethren and amongst everybody else in the whole world? How would, how would Paul overcome so here's a lesson for us. Philippians 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now you can't say that to everybody. Right? You know, he, he can't say that to everybody in the church yet. Because everybody in the church isn't willing to receive that. They'll take that and twist it. Oh, you just want to pretend like none of that happened? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, I'm just saying, if I'm going to move forward with Jesus, i got to let that go 
and move forward with God. And I, and I believe we have to live uh, with the mindset that uh, never hold yourself accountable for the things that God has forgiven you of. Right? Let them go, turn them loose, and move forward with Jesus Christ. I know it's still there, and it's part of my reputation, but I've got to press on for Jesus. And in our walk for faith, and our walk with Jesus, sometimes that's some of the stuff that's holding me back. Lay aside the sin. Lay aside whatever's entangling you. Whatever's holding you back, you've got to let it go. Because it won't let you go. And so the apostle says, I forget what lies behind. I'm pressing forward for the goal. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to keep pressing forward. A prophet is not without honor except within his own hometown. I'm going back to Acts chapter 26. You know, when you go back home to your hometown and you try to teach Jesus and they say, wait, you weren't always a Christian. Why do you want to talk to me now about God? Let it go, brethren. Turn that loose and keep pressing forward with Jesus. In Acts 26, in Verse 15, the mission uh, of the apostle had to be accomplished. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, but arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appointed or appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Notice what Jesus says. Get up. Get up, you man of humility. See, he'd been humbled. And when you've been humbled and you, and you surrender to Jesus, and you say, Lord, use me, take me, you've got to get up. And march forward with Jesus. And so, if there are some that are trying to keep you from serving God faithfully, get up. Get on over here anyway. If there are folks that are trying to keep you from praying, get up from that and pray to Jesus. If you're in a restaurant and you're supposed to pray for your food and you're ashamed, stand up. Pray for your food. God wants us to stand because He has a work for us. A work for us to do. Just like Paul. In verse 17 it says, Delivering you from the Jews, the Jewish people, and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you. You're going to go. They're going to persecute you. You're going to go. They're going to... Well, Lord, why is this happening to me? Because whatever you sow, you reap. Right? So there are going to be some consequences from my actions in my past. I've got to stand up. I've got to stand up with Jesus and continue marching forward for the call, the upward prize that God has for us. In verse 18, here's our mission. To open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Isn't it interesting that Saul was struck with blindness. He was already blind so that he can reach the blind. 
Guess what we have to admit, church? I know, we, when I walk of faith, and, and we've been, maybe we've been Christians for a little while, don't forget where you came from, right? Because if we forget where we come from, we're not going to be able to reach these people. You've got to remember that you too, all of us, were lost in our sins. And we had to wake up, just like we're trying to wake them up. We have to be humble enough to know and to admit that we were not perfect, and that's why God called us. We were sinners like everybody else. So a blind man was sent to blind folks to help the blind to see. Church, if we can remember that, we'll be way more effective in our evangelism. If we can also remember, we're turning to Philippians chapter 1, if we also can remember that there are still people to this day who are kind of like Saul. And what I mean by that is, they can't go home. And they can't go over here. And they're just hoping they can get among God's people and they can find some love. And I don't know that we always have our eyes open. Because they're going to run out that door as soon as we say the last amen. Right? They got to feel welcome, church. They have to feel welcome. And we have to learn to step out of our box, right? I know it's comfortable. I know it. But you can't talk to the same people every Sunday, church. Yeah, I mean, you know, do that. They're not going anywhere. But go grab them people you haven't talked to. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe they're struggling. And they just wanted to get here just to find some love, acceptance. Peace of mind, something. Thank God the church finally received the apostle, later called the apostle. 17 New Testament books by way of inspiration. A man of amazing zeal and faithfulness to God. What if the church had shunned him forever? What would Paul have ever become? In closing tonight, Philippians 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorium guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul says, I'm in prison. I'm in here for Jesus. I'm in here for you. And, and, and everybody knows who I am. I haven't kept my mouth quiet. And now because of me and me preaching and proclaiming Jesus, even in my circumstances, more brethren are becoming bold and saying, you know what? If, if, if I'm going to go to prison for Jesus, I'm going to prison for Jesus. If I'm going to die for Jesus, I'm dying for Jesus. I want to be like that man. What an amazing turnaround by the grace of God. Tonight, if you're struggling, we're here for you. If we can pray with you, pray for you. Tonight, if you're not a Christian and you want to become one, you want to surrender to Jesus in the waters of baptism, now's an opportunity that's before you. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.
Why don't you come?